Hello, listeners. Welcome to episode 15. Uh, I can't do this justice, Riz. I'm going to ask you to take this. What is episode 15 called? Episode 15 is called RNC for you and me. That's Riz's pirate voice. <laughs> yeah, for it those is. of you that didn't know. Yes, How you doing, yes. Riz? It's been a while. I feel like I, I haven't know, seen you in ages. I know, man. It has been a while. You know, and I want to say to all our listeners out there, we are sorry we had to take a week off. But we, we you know, we have fulfilled something. You know, anytime we take a week off, we always give you guys something. Yeah, we gave you an interview. We gave you a really yeah. good interview that we really enjoyed. It was good. Yeah. Every once in a while, this is going to happen. We are in the throes of, of life. The kids have gone back to school, which is an absolute nightmare. Um my family and I are looking for, we're house hunting. So a lot going on, a lot of work going on. Work is starting to roll back in for me. Our episodes are so long <laughs> that uh, one, one yeah. episode can last you two weeks anyway. So that's the, true. And that's this true. way we, we don't have to feel pressured. We went, we went from telling everyone to listen to an episode over the course of a week. Now we're giving you two weeks to listen exactly. occasionally. So, yeah. you know, you're welcome. Uh, you know, before we, we we jump in, I should also say uh, a friend of the pod, Brian Moskin, you know one yeah. of our one of our good friends of the pod. I know him well. Uh, mm-hmm. He told me that last week uh, we had promised, or two weeks ago rather, uh, we had promised a brevity episode, and then we spent fifteen minutes about about personal lives. So he's yep. like, just go right into the freaking episode. So here we go. Without further ado, Honest Abe's housekeeping hangout. When he growed up, this tiny babe. Folks all call him Honest Abe, Abraham, Abraham. All right, Jay, what do you got for us today? We want to talk about our Discord real quick. Um, you guys know about it. We talk about it all the time. Yeah, and you guys have been disappointing us <laughs> because we see the metrics. We see the metrics. And yeah, we, we know see, you're listening. We, 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 uh, so first of all, congratulations is in order, Jay. We hit 103 today on the charts. Well, you know, a couple days ago, we hit 84. We did. You're right. We're just, you're right, we're, we keep, right. We're climbing, man. So thanks for that. We're climbing. And that's of all the podcasts. There's like tens of thousands. Okay. So you guys are listening. We really appreciate it. We had no idea this thing was going to take off like this. But because of that, we know you, you know, maybe, maybe we're just so good at this, Jay. No one ever disagrees with us. You don't come back with some feedback. We're just going to believe that we're doing this perfectly. And you know, here's the thing, guys. You don't have to disagree with us to get on the discord even if you want to anonymously of course you, you always have the the option mm-hmm. of doing it anonymously on discord even if you just have a suggestion for something you want us to cover maybe we haven't hit something or you're yeah. curious as to what our opinions are hey guys cover this 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 and this okay that's all that's you good. gotta do yeah we'll take your suggestions right we want to hear more from you that's it yeah uh, that's that's all we got there that's uh all. we we got products mm-hmm. uh we got mugs you know mm-hmm. the mugs are starting to go they're very popular items uh, we got some cool T-shirts. All of the links are in the in the bios of our socials. They're easy to find. Yep. Uh, you know, if you can't find them, you can ask us on Discord, and I'll tell you where where to go to find them. Check them out. They're fun uh, products. Uh, they're for the whole family. We've even got baby onesies and masks and all kinds of things. So you know, feel free to pick some up. It's, it's yeah. a good time. Friend of the pod, Michael Baker, oh, Michael yeah. John Baker, actually wore our shirt this week and took a picture of it and sent it yeah. to us. So that was really cool. So we want to see that if you. Are drinking mu- uh, drinking coffee out of one of our mugs? Do it. Send it to us. You know we want to we want to promote that stuff, and we want to we want to see all you guys using our products and endorsing our capitalist ventures. Thanks, Mikey Baker. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. This week, you will notice that there is no topic of the week. The reason is there's so much to do and get to, and you know we don't want this to be a three hour podcast, and uh, yeah. that's where we were headed this week because we missed a week, and you know. In Trump years, things go by so fast, we want to cover everything, and that's what's going down. 
Yes, in in Trump years, you know, every day is is at least a year, um, and so much has happened since the last two weeks. We're like, we have to address this, we have to address this, we have to address this. Where are we going to fit the topic of the day? And then we realized as we were going through our outline that there's just, it it would be a five hour episode. Yeah. So. Either way, it's going to be a long episode anyway, so buckle in and, uh, and enjoy, and uh, let's not waste any more time, Jay. Let's get into We Care A Lot. We care a lot. We care a lot. So the uh, first question today is, uh, or comment, as it were, uh, is from one of our best friends of the pod who has reached out to us several times, and we really, really appreciate it. Um, And this is what she had to say. Take it away, Jay. A topic that was brought up last week was the fact that the right basically said America is dead if Donald Trump doesn't win. I would challenge you, Rob. This is not me challenging you, Rob. This is the question. (laughs) I would challenge you, Rob, that I've seen many, many left wingers saying the same thing if Donald Trump wins. I do notice a lot of times on the pod that the right is pointed out for doing or saying something and critiqued for it. But the left wing does some very similar things and doesn't get called out on the pod. There you have it. All right, all right. I think I could take this one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get into some. I'm gonna get a little deeper into this question. Okay, okay. this kind of. Right. Um. So, so you know what you're saying here is that the left does a lot of things, uh, or a lot of the same things that the right does, and perhaps there should be more balance on the show to call out the left when they're doing something that we would call out the right for. Now, I would challenge this a little bit because, as the resident liberal on the show. I think I am, especially compared to most liberals, pretty quick to call out when I think the left is engaging in something silly or useless or counterproductive. Yeah, it was our first like four episodes was, it, was spent doing that. It, exactly. And that goes for both Democratic politicians all the way down to grassroots liberal activist campaigns or movements. You know, in fact, I'll be doing some of that calling out later on in this episode. With that said, I do recognize that to the casual listener, it may seem as though we spend more time talking about the bad crazy things going on on the right than we do on the left. But I do think that is for good reason. So when I'm analyzing this stuff, and I, and I want you guys to know I do spend a good amount of time thinking about everything and making sure I'm being as objective as possible, doing my research, putting, in, putting time into my analysis. The first question I ask in trying to determine what my reaction should be to a particular political matter is, does this political matter fall outside the norms of everyday political rhetoric? The second question I then ask is, is the reaction by both politicians and the public justified? So let's take an example of how this thought process typically plays out. And I may stray from the actual concerns of the listener here a little bit, so bear with me. Okay, so let's talk about the question of Hunter Biden, for instance, okay? For those who may not be up on this stuff as much as Jay and I are, Hunter is one of Joe Biden's four kids. Of course, most of you are probably aware that Joe's son, Bo, died of brain cancer tragically a few years ago. Hunter, I guess you could say, is sort of like uh, the wayward child of Joe Biden's. He's had some drug problems. He was kicked out of the Navy for cocaine use. By the way, Jay, sidebar, I don't think that kind, that, that kind of thing reflects on how good a parent or how good a man Joe Biden is. By all accounts, he's a wonderful and loving father. He lost his first wife and daughter in a fatal car accident in the 70s. And yeah, he tragic. took over the parenting duties for the rest of his kids. I mean, being a, a stay-at-home dad or, or, or a single dad, rather, and going into to work and coming home. I mean, that, that's, that's tough stuff. I can tell you that firsthand. So th- there are a lot of reasons one's kids go in one direction or the other. And I don't think it's fair 
to use a troubled kid's history to score political points. End of sidebar. Anyway, uh, Hunter, as an adult, has been sitting on the board of a Ukrainian gas company and collecting a ton of money, despite the fact that he has very little experience in the oil and gas industry. Now, the Republicans for months now have wanted to use that as proof of greater Biden family corruption. But the truth is that this is a very common occurrence in both politics and in a whole lot of other industries in the world. Uh, Powerful people enrich their kids and have throughout most of civilization. And while I understand that this is the kind of thing that bothers some people, especially when it's government officials that do this, it's a part of life that we should probably just learn to come to terms with. Hunter's last name is Biden. Joe Biden was the vice president of the United States, and there is certainly a political and economic advantage to having people with important last names on the board of your company. Uh, you know, in fact, I loved what Hunter had to say about this when he was asked about it in a recent interview. Uh, I actually have a really short clip that I'll play for you guys because I thought it was great. And this is what he had to say. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. OK, that's very honest. I love it. Uh, people with powerful names get powerful jobs. Deal with it. I love how Hunter just sort of owns it there and doesn't try to make any excuses. Uh, and after that, the Republicans kind of stopped talking about the Hunter thing a little bit. They've recently brought it up again. You know, they're trying to on a wall, see what sticks. But uh, getting back to the point here, does Hunter Biden sitting on the board of a company and getting paid too much to do so fall within the everyday norms of American politics? Of course it does. So is the reaction to it from the right justified? Of course it isn't. So that's basically how I do my analysis of these kind of things and how I would suggest everyone does it if you are indeed interested in being fair and impartial. You know, often we get so caught up in partisanship and our team and that it prevents us from being objective. And that happens on both the left and the right. You know, so what this friend of the pod who who gave us this comment was talking about specifically in her comment to us was when I was pointing out the incredible doom and gloom a couple episodes ago, uh, the hyperbole that the right is painting Joe Biden with if he were to become president. And she's saying that the left, her friends on the left, she's seeing are doing the same exact thing with Trump. Well, here's how I would analyze that. Does Joe Biden as a politician from both personality and policy standpoints fall within the everyday norms of American politics? Absolutely, he does. He is a moderate Blue dog Democrat, crusty old white dude. I believe that's dude. his entire campaign strategy. It, 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 just it is. Out. He, he is a crusty old white dude, just like 43 out of the last 45 presidents. Yeah. There is nothing radical or even remotely out of the ordinary about his demeanor or his political agenda. And so is the extreme reaction that the country will be, quote, over forever if Joe Biden becomes president justified? No, it isn't. It's silly. It's hyperbolic. Now, Trump on the other hand, absolutely does fall outside the norms of everyday politics, both in his rhetoric and his overall demeanor and divisiveness. And the amount of uh, tanner that he uses. Yeah, yeah, the tanner, the hair, I mean, the bleach blonde hair at 70-something years old, and the tweeting, of course, you know. Uh, Reagan didn't tweet. (laughs) Now, Now, it is my personal contention from what I see on the ground and the stuff I'm exposed to that Trump has brought this country 
to near irreparable damage. In other words, we will survive four years, or, or I should say, will we survive four years of Donald Trump and come back from it? I'm pretty sure the answer is yes. But could we survive another four years? I personally seriously have my doubts. So in other words, let's ask the second question. Is the reaction by the left writ large to a potential second term of Donald Trump a justified reaction? My personal belief is absolutely 100%. So in summation to our wonderful listeners' comment, comparing the reaction of the right to a potential Biden presidency to the reaction of the left to a potential Trump second term is comparing apples and oranges. Now, The right knows this about Biden. They understand they don't have the goods on him like they did on Hillary Clinton. So the going narrative that they're apparently sticking with is the idea that you're not actually electing Joe Biden. Yeah, puppet boy. Right. You're electing AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar. Those are going to be the real presidents. You know, Joe Biden is just a Trojan horse for the radical left. And, uh, you know, he's going to succumb to the pressures of the few radical outliers in Congress. This, again if you think about it, is a very, very silly notion. If this were true, Biden wouldn't be the Democratic nominee. It would be Bernie Sanders. The truth is that we saw one of the greatest mobilization efforts in political history by the Democrats to make Biden the nominee. They ousted Bernie Sanders and his agenda, not in an immoral or unjust way, for all you Bernie bros out there, but in a a very savvy political way by having all of the other candidates that were running drop out when they did at the exact right time and rally their support behind Biden. What this proves is that the vast majority of the Democratic Party wanted a Biden moderate agenda and rejected that sweeping change agenda of Bernie Sanders and his few minions. You know, Another sidebar here, Jay. And we, you mm-hmm. know. That's what we do. Uh, yeah, this is what we do. I was thinking about what a Joe Biden presidency would look like in its first term if he were to win. And I honestly believe it would be a largely rhetorical presidency. As long as the word nap is utilized, I'm good with it. Exactly. He's going to do a lot of nap. I hope he does a lot. I need some napping. That's so, what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, I think we'd see very little in the way of big policy and or legislative change. And, and, and perhaps I'm wrong. Maybe I'll be, uh, you know, check me on this four years from now if he wins. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'm thinking you'll see a push for some environmental regulation, you know, mm-hmm. which to me is a good thing. You'll see a push for reforms of elements of law enforcement, which is long yeah. overdue. Healthcare. I, health, well, I was just going to say, I think especially... First of all, especially if the Democrats take the Senate and retain yeah. the House, you'll you'll see you'll see health care. You'll see more financial support for those who have uh, who were heavily affected by the pandemic mm-hmm. for a longer period of time. Yeah, um, probably I, roll, he'll probably roll roll some regulation uh, that Trump has rolled back. I'm guessing. Yeah, maybe some taxes. I, yeah, well, know, I mean, I, I, things in, that a Democrat in, would do. In terms of taxes, I think you could see you could potentially see some very moderate tax mm-hmm. reform that probably would just increase the burden for corporations and individuals who profited off the pandemic, like Amazon. You know, they were doing really well before the pandemic. After the pandemic, they're still uh, they don't pay anywhere near enough taxes. I think he would he would do that. Uh, I, I don't think you're going to see that sweeping health insurance regulation or legislation like we talked about. I think Biden will keep Obamacare in place and perhaps talk about adding a public option. But the the point is, will America look incredibly different after four years of of, of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris? I seriously have my doubts, which will, of course, keep pissing off those Bernie bros. They're going to be really upset about that. Now, I think the country is in greater need of healing than ever before in modern history. Mm-hmm. Yet healing from all the divisiveness, from a health care health crisis, uh, you know, from an incredible economic downturn. And I think a lot of that healing 
will come from Biden's rhetoric and his ability to show empathy towards others and basically be the anti-Trump. So uh, I hope I answered uh, or I addressed the question. I, I gave you a little extra there. there but Jay, you have anything else to say on it? No, I think that's a fair take. And uh, I hope that you're right. Thank you. Well, I'm almost always right, except for those times when I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so moving on, let's go to question number two. And this question is from another really great friend of the pod, uh, Jack Barraquette, who happens to be- Best friend of the pod. He can be a best friend of the pod, too. He's a best friend of the pod. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, he, you know, Jack is the guitar player in a band called All Time Low. If you don't know them, you should look them up. Uh, They are awesome. And they're good- My old roomie. Yep, they're good buddies of ours. They, uh, Jack used to room with, with Justin. Jack, by his own admission, wasn't really that into politics and started listening to our podcast and got a little hooked on it. He texts me now at 7.30 in the morning when I'm making coffee. De- like, demanding his episode. <laughs> exactly. So uh, it's great. It's great to have JB listening. Uh, and so uh, Jack had a question he wa- he, he, a question that he wanted us to address, and uh, it went something like this. Yeah, I like this question. I like this question a lot. So uh, it went something like this. Uh, Guys, I can't remember a time in my life where actual policies were discussed less than they are now. All the news ever really talks about is what Trump says and tweets. I feel like the news used to talk more about policy and less about politicians' personalities. I'd be interested to know what laws or policies have actually been enacted in the past four years under Trump. Please and thank you. It's really good. He has a, he has a very solid point. Uh, we're not really ta- uh, talking about this stuff as it as it sort of flies by the news cycles. Mm-hmm. So I have prepared a pretty extensive list of legislation that has been passed. It's really more just executive orders and laws. And you're not going to be commenting on whether you think it's good or bad. No. Just just that just it is that, that yeah. it, exactly that it right. exists, that it right. happened. It's important to note that I did really focus on 2017, 2018, because no one was talking about this stuff then either. And I think, you know, they say your presidency is largely your first two years. Um, obviously, Trump has continued to do a lot of stuff past then. But we had the pandemic and we had all these things happen that really the legislation has been focused around. So I'm going to get into stuff that happened prior taxes. Trump signed H.R. 1. The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which is the biggest transformation of the U.S. tax code in more than 30 years. He's cut taxes for individuals and corporations. Uh, he cut corporate tax rate to a single 21%. Previously, it was anywhere from 15 to 31 on taxable, uh, 31 on taxable income over 10 million. He lowered individual rates as well. Under the new plan, some of those rates fall, including the top rate, which would be 37%, applicable to income over half a million dollars for individuals and 600,000 for couples. He doubled the amount of inheritance exempt from tax. He expanded the child tax credit to 2K per child, and he lowered taxes on overseas profits to 15.5% on liquid assets and 8% for illiquid assets. On trade, he issued the Buy American, Hire American executive order, prioritizing federal use of American goods and services and directing changes in the process of issuing H-1B visas for skilled foreign workers. We know about the China trade deal. Uh, We know about the changes to the trade agreement with the Republic of Korea, and we know about the signed trade agreement with South Korea. He signed the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, an updated version of NAFTA, has provisions on automobiles, uh, labor provisions, exchange rate curbs, dairy, pharmaceuticals, and steel and aluminum. Uh, Moving along to healthcare, we have an executive order granting uh, Health and Human Services HHS authority to waive defer grant exemptions from or delay the implementation of any provisions or requirement of the ACA, which is Obama's health care plan, that would impose a fiscal burden on any state or a cost fee, tax, penalty, or regulatory burden on individuals, families, health care providers, insurers, patients, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
So uh, H.R. 1, the bill I just mentioned, also eliminated the ACA's individual mandate. So we got rid of that as well. Um, He signed the Interdict Act, a bipartisan bill intended to stem the tide of synthetic opioids like fentanyl from coming into the U.S. illegally. Uh, He gave more resources and funding to the U.S. Customs and Border Protection. He signed S-204, the Right to Try Act of 2017, allowing terminally ill patients to use unapproved investigational drugs after all approved treatment options have been tried. He signed H.R. 6, the Support for Patients and Communities Act, allocating $500 million a year towards the opioid crisis, made it easier to use Medicaid funding for opioid treatment, created grant programs to fight opioid abuse, and required the U.S. Postal Service to monitor mail for trafficking. Federal judges, he nominated 272 individuals to federal judgeships. 203 have been uh, confirmed, and currently 47 of 78 federal vacancies have pending nominations. Let me know if any of these strike your fancy. Mm -hmm. I got infrastructure. That's an exciting one. Marijuana. Marijuana. Do that one. Okay. Uh, A marijuana. He signed the Agricultural Improvement Act, legalizing the production of hemp by removing it from the Schedule 1 list of controlled substances under federal law. Social welfare programs. Nah. Veterans. Do the veterans because that's his, he talks about that a lot. He signed S-544, the Veterans Choice Program Extension and Improvement Act. He extended a program allowing veterans to see non-VA doctors if they face long wait times or lived 40 or more miles from the nearest VA uh, facility. He signed the VA Accountability and Whistleblower Protection Act, um, which improves accountability at the Department of Veterans Affairs. And he created an Office of Accountability and Whistleblower Protection within the VA. All right, that's enough. We get it. Okay, we all get right. It. I, I could go on and on <laughs> and on here. We got things with the budget. We got things with agriculture and food. You know what? I'll call Jack and I'll give him the rest. How about that? Well, you know, here's the thing, Jack. Now we are going to go through each one and we're going to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> it will be here for 20 hours. That's- yeah. So, uh, you know, what, 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 I, what I would say to all that is that, yeah, Trump, like any other president, uh, has a lot of legislation that has been passed that you haven't heard about. Some of it is not important really to everyday life. Others has just been glossed over by uh, the fact that Trump is a crazy maniac and he tweets all the time. I would say the big one is the conservative judges. Yeah. Um, that's probably his biggest achievement. I mean, he he has a record number of judges. If you're a conservative, you really like that. If you're a liberal like me, you really don't like it. And his sort of trade um, agenda has mm-hmm. been, you know, and, and by the way, that's sort of the reverse. It's not common for, uh, we've said it before on here, for a conservative yeah. to run a trade agenda like he has. Um, but it's yep. been something that he's been very public and strong about. Yeah. But, you know, like any president, he's gotten some stuff done and he... Uh, has pretty much governed like a classic conservative would. I mean, there really isn't that many outlier examples of of things that most conservative, any conservative president wouldn't have have, have wanted to do. So that's about it. But the other stuff he's done has been very, very destructive just in his rhetoric. And we're going to get to more of that later in this episode if we haven't already. So uh, Jack, hope that answers your question. We love you, pal. Thank you to our uh, to our friends of the pod who are writing in and commenting, and uh, we want you guys to keep it up. Let us know if you want to hear anything from us, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. All right. Okay, so we have a new segment, don't we, Jay? We certainly do, Riz, and I'm excited about this one. It's going to be good. This new segment is called The Bonehead of the Week. It's an award, and we're going to give it out weekly. Here we go. All right, and the Bonehead of the Week Award goes to your very own Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi! Let's all give her a round of applause, everyone. Nancy. Now, there is a difference between being an elite and being an elitist. We like elites, Jay. 
You know, when you need a doctor, you want one of the elites. They're excellent at their job. Right. You want an elite athlete Mm -hmm. to play for your favorite sports team, don't you? You know, being (laughs) being an elite is a positive thing. An elitist, on the other hand, is somebody who believes that they deserve greater authority by virtue of who they are and that the rules that apply to common folk don't necessarily apply to them. Now, two things could be true at once, Jay. Did you know that? True thing number one. Nancy Pelosi is an elite politician. She's a tactician. She understands the art of politics. She's been called one of the great political strategists of our time, although I personally believe that to be an overstatement. Unlike a lot of the other Democrats, however, in Congress, she has been one of the few that understands the correct way to treat Donald Trump generally. She sort of rolls her eyes and treats him like a small child, which I appreciate. I personally have a love-hate relationship with Crazy Nancy, but she is an elite politician. Mm -hmm. Nobody would deny that. There's no doubt about that. True thing number two, however, is she is an elitist of the highest order. So Jay, if you guys haven't heard what happened this oh, week, boy. Jay, why don't you fill us in and tell us? Ah, uh, good old Nancy. You know, she's, yeah. she's just like us. You know, politicians are just <laughs> like us. They want to get their hair done and they want to go to a salon. However, Nancy Pelosi has been saying for how long, Riz? Oh, uh, a really long time. Not to go out, not to go anywhere you shouldn't, and to wear a mask. Guess what happened? Yeah, yeah. I, I saw the video. Yeah, yeah. So she went where she shouldn't. <laughs> she went indoors. She didn't wear a mask. And she, she got her hair did, Riz. And not only did she get her hair did, when she a- got asked about it, she said, she was like shaggy. It was a setup. <laughs> uh, you know, I haven't seen a single meme uh, with, with uh, Admiral Akbar from, from Star Wars. It's a trap. But that's essentially what she got up there and said. It's a trap. Now, yeah, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi got her hair styled inside a San Francisco hair salon. Her office said in a Tuesday statement, uh, apparent violation of the city's COVID-19 safety regulations that enraged the salon's owner. The acknowledgement came after a Fox News report that the owner of the salon, Erica Kios, uh, was angry that Pelosi had broken the rules requiring such hair treatments to be done outdoors because of the pandemic. Fox also reported it had obtained security footage showing the speaker inside Isalan not wearing a mask. Pelosi staff insisted Pelosi wore a mask while getting her hair done, except for a brief period when she got her hair washed. The security footage shows Pelosi not wearing a mask, as Jay just said, as she walks briefly between two rooms in the salon, her hair wet as if just washed. Okay, <laughs> so I have one thing to say. What the f*** <laughs> are you thinking, Mrs. Speaker? <laughs> Is this something that we need two months before an election? Now, now, I know a lot of my left-wing friends are doing the whole, well, who cares? It's a haircut. Trump does 100 worse things on a daily basis. Yes, that is true. But that's not the point. You're intentionally missing the point. The point is that Democrats already have a reputation of being elitist intellectual assholes who are out of touch with the working class. And when you brazenly break one of your own laws, one especially that is causing business owners in your city and in your state to lose their entire livelihood, it makes people who don't like Trump, people who otherwise would have voted against him, say, you know what? All these people are full of They're all selfish elitists. I'll vote for the guy who at least does it openly with no shame. You know, perception is a big deal, Jay. Did you know that? Especially in politics. Especially in politics. It's a very, very big deal. Now, I hearken back to when I talked about the Katie Hill scenario. If you remember, Katie Hill was a freshman congresswoman from New York who was apparently stooping like three quarters of her staff at the same time. 
It sounds like sounds like some campaign to work on. But uh, but anyway, um, she got caught in a very bad manner. She was like framed and the whole thing sucked. But she did get caught as against the, the the House rules of ethics. And I was one of the few liberals who said she should resign, which she did, because Democrats, I said it at the time, I'll say it again. The Republic, you, we can't keep using the excuse, oh, Republicans break the rules all the time. And it's true. If Mark Meadows was getting his hair cut, no one would have said no. anything because Mark Meadows doesn't give a shit about yes. COVID. That's his whole That's thing, right. right? But Democrats are rule sticklers. That's what they're thinking. So when you're breaking the rules, you undermine the case for Democrats. Yeah. And everything so, you've said you know, previously. It's- right. You just end up sounding like a huge hypocrite so stop giving me the republicans do it all the time excuse that this was a terrible was a terrible mistake from for for nancy so nancy rather than owning it as, as jay was saying and apologizing uh she then claimed she was set up i think there's some lawsuits going on that which again you never want to do that because then then you just look petty just say you're sorry and you made a mistake the real loser here is the salon owner right right who could lose her business over this exactly you, you know here's the thing i'm a realist i understand that anyone in the public eye needs to care about how they look, okay? Justin works in uh, in the music industry, okay? People do what they have to do. But Nancy Pelosi is worth $350 million. Can't get someone to the house. Her husband... Right. Her husband is exceptionally wealthy, as well as, as as her personally, okay? Get somebody to come to your home. Find a underground lair somewhere. Drive into the desert. Do whatever you have to do. But the fact that she has the stones to get her hair done illegally on Union Street in San Francisco, her own district, shows just how much of an elitist she actually is. It's just stupid. And that is why Nancy Pelosi gets our award for Bonehead of the Week. Congrats, Nancy. You can you can pick up your trophy after the pod. Okay, so uh, Jay, speaking of things that do not help Democrats, oh HBO has a new show. Did you know this? Ah, uh, did I ever? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll sh- I'll spare you the suspense. It is called Coastal Elites, and it's starring Bette Midler and Sarah Paulson and Issa Rae and a few other people that uh, middle of the road voters in Wisconsin likely care deeply about. Can I tell you, that was I, I changed the channel at Bette Midler. That's all you needed to <laughs> say. I was out. I was out. I mean, I, I was out before I, I looked at the uh, the uh, the trailer, and I, yeah. I couldn't care less about a show. I have to be honest with you. Well, well, if you haven't seen the trailer yet, uh, this is what part of it sounds like. We'll play it for you guys. Welcome. I'm Clarissa Montgomery, and we are streaming live. Take a deep, healing breath, and imagine that you're not even on Twitter or Facebook or Xanax. Yes, officer. I know what I did, and I know why that man pressed charges. I knew her. Not well, but we would nod at each other and she always made a point of remembering my name and smiling and saying, hi, Kelly. And I'd say, hi, Ivanka. The smile, it was like she was saying, I'm here, but I'm not. She's wearing jeans and a windbreaker. And the hat, the red hat. You know the one, the MAGA hat. In New York City, two blocks from the public theater. And Cooper Union, where Lincoln spoke. And Larry Kramer, just like me going to Nebraska, wearing a yarmulke, waving a rainbow flag while reading a book. Okay, uh, Coastal Elites, uh, a show where eccentric Hollywood people complain about how much they hate Trump. This might play really well with the with the Yentas in Long Island. <laughs> There's nothing more stereotypical about Bette Medler's character. Like, I know a woman like this in New York City who, who lives on the Upper does. East Side, who sounds like this, 
who you know complains about the same stuff, who reads the freaking newspaper like she does, and they're it's just the worst stereotyping of of all time. HBO, you know what? Congratulations. Why not reinforce for all those potentially disappointed Trump voters in Middle America that yes, they were correct. The Democratic Party is filled with those who spend most of their time sneering at you, thinking you're an ignorant rube clinging to your god and guns. Way to go, everyone! Great, great job. You know. Content like this just reinforces what most Americans hate about who the Democrats have decided to pander to Mm -hmm. over the last 30 years. It's sort of like these are the people that want to impose restrictive gun regulations on us, but they all live in gated communities. These are the people that don't want me to be able to protect myself when I go to the grocery store, but they all live, they all have private security detail. These are the people that don't want me to be able to choose what public school my kids go to, but they all send their kids to ritzy private schools. So it's kind of like, yeah, I don't give a what Bette Midler has to say about politics. Thank you. You know, and, and, and I'm not, I'm not doing the whole, Uh, shut up and sing or shut up and act thing here. I'm just saying that this kind of stuff does nothing for the Democratic cause except hurt it. It it perpetuates a massive stereotype and it doesn't even look good. It doesn't, no. And it it looks boring and and we already know everyone hates Trump in New York. Congratulations. Why do I I need to hear old Jewish people complaining about it? We have that at home. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, let's keep moving on because we still got a lot to get to, Jay. Let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the RNC. All right. I'm excited for All this, right. too. All right. Tell me what you think about the RNC, Riz. I'm, I've been very excited to hear your thoughts on this. Oh, I got a lot of thoughts on it. Okay, we'll get into a lot of stuff here. So uh, the RNC was, God, when was the RNC? I don't know, two <laughs> years ago? <laughs> it feels like two years it ago. Really we does. felt like we had to talk about it. But for you guys, especially if you pay attention, it probably feels like at least a, a month ago. It was really like two weeks ago, I think. Um, so I think the entire event could be summed up by one overarching theme and It's a theme that Republicans have used for many elections over the last decades, uh, and that message is, of course, law and order. Uh, It's funny how crime rates seem to always tick up right before every Republican national convention, just in time for them to scare the shit out of white people. (laughs) And 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 let's call it what it is, Jay, because I'm just going to say, I mean, you could say what you want about the actual data and statistics, and we'll get to that in a minute, but a key strategy for Republicans is to make white people afraid. And the best way to do this is to tell people that if you elect Democrats, crime is going to run rampant through your streets, and especially in the suburbs. Now, analyzing things a little further, we have these two big cases going on that have similar undertones, okay? The first is the Kyle Rittenhouse case in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which we're going to get to a little later in the show. The second is this McCloskey case in St. Louis. They're the couple that pointed their guns at the protesters that were approaching their home. Yeah, every meme you've seen for the last two months. Exactly. Uh, The Republicans gave the McCloskeys a primetime spot in the convention. And I think it's sort of to exploit this emerging Republican narrative that I find scary, which is that Democrats are putting you in so much danger that we're rapidly approaching a point here where you're going to have to take matters into your own hands. It's not just a double down on the Second Amendment. I think they're actually going so far as to promote the idea of armed militias, you know, kind of pushing the narrative that law enforcement is being handicapped all over the country. So you got to do it yourself. And all of this, of course, adds to the ever increasing fear that a lot of white Americans have or or a lot of white Americans are already carrying. Uh, Kellyanne Conway, who just stepped down, actually, as the uh, main spokesman for the for the for the campaign, literally. 
Spokesperson, thank you, thank you, Jay. She literally admitted that this was their strategy uh, last week when she said, the more chaos and violence in the streets, the more likely people will vote for the law and order candidate, which of course would be Donald J. Trump. Anyway, here are my sort of brief takeaways, Jay, okay. of the whole RNC. Production was good, better than the Democratic convention Much. in the way that it moved. Yeah. It was more entertaining, for sure. Less awkward. Yep. Fear-mongering was very, very intense. Uh, there were some very awkward moments, the most awkward being that of Kimberly Guilfoyle, okay, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. who for some reason thought she was at a sold-out Zeppelin reunion <laughs> show at Madison Square Garden. Uh, there was no one in the audience. They were... <laughs> It was a completely empty hall, but uh, yeah, she was terrifying. Yeah, it, it, she was kind of terrifying. It, it, it terrifying. What was Governor Newsom thinking? Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll get to that in a second. If you didn't hear Kimberly uh, Guilfoyle's speech, this is what the very end of it sounded like. So you could just see how freaking awkward it was. President Trump is the leader who will rebuild the promise of America and ensure that every citizen can realize their American dream. Ladies and gentlemen, leaders and fighters for freedom and liberty and the American dream, the best is yet to come. Okay. Yeah, that's awkward. Uh, yeah, that's Yikes. just a little bit. Uh, who are you screaming at? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. Who, whoever greenlit that, I don't know if she did a rehearsal run. Who who in in the Republican National Convention was like, yes, we need more of that. What classifies Kimberly Guilfoyle as somebody who should speak at the RNC? First of all, she dated Ga Governor Newsom, certainly no right winger. So, so you know, who knows where her political ideology actually falls and where her, you know, just wanting sort of fame and fortune ends. But, you know, the other thing is she's just Don Jr.'s girlfriend. It's like keeping up with the Trumps. It's like if I was doing a seminar on how handsome I was and I got my mom and my wife there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's a really handsome Jewish boy. I mean, Which, by the way, is something you would totally do. Totally, because they're the only two people I could find. And maybe you, because you're a mensch. Yeah, yeah, I'll go to bat for you. <laughs> but they're the, just silly. It, no no reason to have her. But anyway, uh, that was an embarrassing moment. Now, moving on, all in all, uh, John Favreau from the podcast Pod Save America said it best. And I'm typically opposed to jacking other people's material. But sometimes when I feel someone has hit it right on the money, I'll make an exception. This is what he had to say about the main themes of the RNC, and then I'm going to break them down a little bit. This is what John Favreau's piece sounded like. I, I got a couple messages out of the convention that I wrote down here. One is Trump is the greatest president ever, despite what, you know, the crooked media may tell you. <laughs> a lot of media bashing about how you know Trump is a victim. He's a victim of the media. He's actually the greatest president ever. Uh, the next message is COVID is yesterday's news. Forget about COVID. It's already, it's gone. It, we, it's something that we went through. It's past tense. Third is uh, Republicans aren't racist or sexist and neither are you for supporting them. That was a, that's a, that's been every night of the, of the camp of the convention. And then the final one is Joe Biden, Kamala Harris are puppets of the radical left who will turn America into a violent, chaotic hellscape where you may be canceled. Yeah, I think that pretty much sums up the, the main themes. Now, let's break those down a little bit, Jay. You mind? I don't. I love it when you do this with the, with the podcast and a podcast. It's so meta. <laughs> I know. It is very meta. <laughs> totally. So, uh, so Trump is the best president in the history of the world. And the only reason you don't know this is because the media lie about it uh, and lie about him. Now, you know, I guess this kind of mentality always plays with the base, even though we found out last week that uh, Fox News has three times the viewership of any mainstream network. And the Daily Wire, 
a very conservative internet media company, Ben Shapiro's company, and Jeremy Boring, um, is the most traffic political website in the world. Okay, I don't want to get into a long thing about this, but we got to talk about this again later, Jay. Okay. But I, I have to ask, and maybe, you know, I'm, again, this is probably a conversation for another, another day, but uh, at what point do we start referring to the right-wing media as mainstream and CNN as fringe? I, I hear I, I definitely hear what you're saying. And you and I have had this conversation a lot, especially recently when these numbers started coming in. I got a lot right. of texts from you. Right. But, <laughs> I, you know, you do also have to recognize that when you're talking about number of sources, right, it's one source is Fox, one source is yeah. The Daily Wire. And then you have multiple other sources that skew yes. to the left. That it's really about quantity, I would say, more than the than numbers of people watching. I hear what you're saying, and I uh, Fox's numbers are, are the, in their prime time yeah, slots are greater than all of the other left, the supposed mainstream left wing ones combined. Yes. Okay, I hear that. <laughs> so I so it. it's crazy. I, I just uh, here's just, the thing: it's we'll, more we'll, it's we'll, more voices versus few voices. But I do hear yeah. what you're saying, and I think that okay. part needs to be part of the discussion. Right. I just, here's the thing. We'll, we'll bring this up a la later in another episode. But I want someday somebody to, to talk about Anderson Cooper like he's a fringe journalist. <laughs> that, that, that is my dream. I want Anderson Cooper and Don Lemon and Lester Holt to be like the outside fringe for the undergrounders. Yeah, that'd be something. Yeah, that's, right. that's the dream for me. So uh, moving on, uh, the COVID situation. I, I think the starkest difference in rhetoric between the DNC and the RNC was that the Democrats talked about COVID as the crisis that it currently is. Yeah. 190,000 Americans have died. Kids are doing online school all over the country. Millions of people haven't gone back to work. You know, I'm just starting to get work back, okay? The Republicans absolutely talked about it at their convention in the past tense as something that happened a few months back, and we got through it, yeah. you know, which is it just ludicrous. It's not reality. Well, it's in their, be and it's I in don't their think best be interest for the market. It's in their best interest for the election. They, they would like the world to believe this. Yeah, I just don't know if people are going to buy that, you know, and I, I want to talk about that for a second because I, I saw a very interesting and telling poll mm -hmm. the other day on Fox News, okay? So- this is this is amazing to me. So according to Fox, uh, this Fox News poll I saw, 76% of registered Republicans believe that the lockdowns in the wake of COVID were completely unnecessary. Yeah. Okay, 76%. That That is a great, great number. Completely unnecessary. Now, that doesn't really surprise me because Republicans are always erring on the side of, of it's a hoax. Yeah. You know, that, that that's just in the Republican ethos at, at this point. Uh, it's in their mindset. I mean, okay? I, I have heard things about that. I, the problem is, is that you, you, you throw something out there. It's not very nuanced. The nuance exists because I've heard people say, they'll say that line and then they'll say it's a hoax. But then they'll, other people will say that line and then they'll say, I don't know if a complete lockdown was necessary. We could have rolled this out in a different way. And it just, right. you know, it's not that, it, that this coronavirus is a hoax. It's that that we didn't need to go all the way there in order to, okay. to, to well, beat well, the, the, the virus. I guess I'll take your point. But but uh, here's the interesting part, because yeah. that that part of the poll wasn't interesting. Okay, okay so here's the nuance for you. Uh, you know, I thought that was pretty predictable, mm -hmm. but 72 percent of Republicans blame the Democrats for the lockdowns. Now, to me, this just shows how much of a cult Trumpism has become. Yeah. Because let's remember a few things, okay? Let's let's go over some stuff. Donald Trump is the president of the United States. He controls the executive branch. He put Fauci and Burks out there on the podium. His administration issued very draconian guidelines for each state 
on how they should open guidelines that very few states ever met before they started to talk about opening. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it, we talked about this before, Jay. Trump likes to talk out of both sides of his mouth with this thing. He didn't need to put Fauci and Burks out there. He knew the people wanted to hear the experts at some point. Yeah, he had but to. when Trump would go out there, he would do the winking and nodding, sort of like, we got to get the country open. We can't keep doing this. You know, more people are going to die yeah. if we keep it locked down. That was his whole like, okay, I gave you the experts, but... I don't I think this is all BS, you know, that that was what he was doing. Right. He wanted to talk out of both sides of his mouth. And, you know, there's something we probably should 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 talk about. We we, we've never talked about this and we probably should have talked about it on our back to basics show two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And that's the concept of federalism. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So federalism. Yes. Federalism is a system of government in which the same territory is controlled by two levels of government. And that first level is the state level. So it's the idea that your state government has a greater impact on your everyday life than the federal government does. Now I've, I prefer this and I've been saying this for years, you know, when Trump constitution, it's the basis of our constitution. When Trump was elected and I had a lot of left-wing friends who were freaking out, I kept, especially in California, I kept saying, listen, the government in California is never going to get on the Trump train. No. Okay. Yeah. So, they, they, and they have a greater effect on your life. If they, if the government in California, for whatever you might think of them, shares your values, that's probably more important than anything Trump is going to do. Like, I understand Trump is an upsetting person to a lot of people on the left, but if you live in a liberal state, you really don't have much to worry about about your life changing, okay? So I'm the first one to say our lives are impacted much more by our state representatives and our mayors than they are by our president. But it seems to me that Republicans only like talking about federalism when there's a Republican in office because it conveniently takes the onus off the president when something goes wrong and puts 100% of the responsibility on the states. And we've heard Trump do this a lot. You know, it's not me, it's the state governments that botched the response to COVID. You know, when there's a Democrat in office, however, Republicans stop talking about federalism and act as though the Democratic president is the ruler of the universe and every single thing that goes wrong in any corner of any state in the country is entirely his fault. The fact that 72% of Republicans think the Democrats are responsible for the lockdowns is unreal. Now, can somebody tell me what the political, let's put our thinking caps on for a second, okay? What is the political incentive for a governor like Gavin Newsom in California to purposely destroy his own state's economy when he really has no reason to do so. I mean, a lot of Republicans are saying that a lot of these states are still closed only to hurt Trump, to hurt his election chances. There are like eight people in the state of California that vote for Trump. Yeah. Okay. One of them happens to be your wife, Jay. Okay. Actually, I'm not sure she's registered here. Well, there you go. (laughs) It was a state, California is a state that was already going to go blue. It was one of the bluest states in the country. Okay. Do we think Newsom was like, Hmm, twisting his mustache and being like, if I keep the state locked down until election day, even more people will vote for Joe Biden. It's an insane and ridiculous proposition. But Trump has this unique way of, you know, in the eyes of his supporters, always being right and always being virtuous. And it's always the fault of the Democrats and the media. And it's never his. Sure. So I, I don't know. Um, that's basically my take on the RNC and some extra stuff there. What did I miss about the RNC, Jay? Let, let me know. Um, I mean, I think you nailed it. Uh, you know, there's mm-hmm. not a lot you, you missed. I think they brought out some interesting people. Uh, Herschel yeah. Walker was a weird, that was a weird mm-hmm. get. 
It was, it was, I think it was exactly as expected. I don't think there was any, yeah. I don't think there were any surprises. Yeah. By the way, speaking of it, well, you know, the two things, one, one is, uh, the one thing I forgot to touch upon was Trump's acceptance speech, which was terrible. First of all, it was way too long. It was like 75 minutes. Yeah. Who wants to listen to telepop prompter Trump for 75 minutes? My favorite was Ivanka walking past uh, Melania. That was a great moment and provided a lot of internet humor. Yes, it did. But, you know, teleprompter Trump is terrible Trump. Um, yeah. And uh, it, it just, he looked bored. He sounded bored. Uh, it just, it, unless you were a real, real Trumper, I don't see how, I, I actually thought Biden's speech was a, was a lot better, his acceptance speech. And I will say that I do, just to be fair and balanced here, I did think the Republicans had a better convention, convention overall. overall. I agree. Yeah. Overall, but just just the speeches. Second thing I wanted to say is that uh, 538, which is a polling company, if you guys haven't checked it out, you should go to 538.com. That's all spelled out, not digits, 538.com. Yeah. They do. Uh, they take all of the uh, the polls that happen all over the country, and they sort of create their own algorithm and model that predicts things. They were saying in, um, in their recent podcast that they've been studying uh, the bumps of presidents after their convention for like 70 years mm -hmm. and the bump that by either biden or trump got from this convention was the lowest the, the most insignificant ever recorded for both of them so, for both of them that's shocking so, yeah so so the bottom line is that we are so digged in and yeah, the, yeah. We, we are where we are we are where we are. Everyone yeah. has made up their mind. The convention didn't move the needle one bit. Yeah. If it, you know, maybe it hurt a, a little bit. Maybe for both candidates, who knows? You know, maybe maybe some people walked away saying like, "I hate both these people," but uh, ultim ultimately, I think the whole convention was sort of insignificant. So the question becomes: Will people? by the whole law and order shtick, because that's really been the main message of mm -hmm. the Republicans, and it was at the convention. And I want to play a quick clip from NBC News, uh, this was just a few nights ago, that clears up some myths about the supposed rising crime rates that are apparently ha only happening in Democratic cities, as you will hear on Fox News. Check this out for a second. For weeks, the president has said violence is out of control in cities run by Democrats, but we wanted to make sure that you have the facts. Is there a difference in the crime rate in cities run by Democrats versus those led by Republicans? Tom Costello now with the latest in our series, America's Cities, Fact versus Fiction. Amid national protests over racial inequality and policing, President Trump has often repeated the same claim. Worst, the 20 most dangerous are Democrat-run. Worse than Honduras, worse than Afghanistan. The reality check, homicide rates are up in many cities run by both Democrats and Republicans. Up 13% in Republican-led Miami, up 34% in Democrat-led New York. Up 29% in Republican-run Tulsa through June, up 31% in Democrat-led Phoenix through July. In Republican-led Fort Worth, police report a 50% increase in homicides just this year. We got challenges just as well as other large and small uh, metropolitan areas. Uh, we're doing the best that we can with the resources that we have. In Democrat-led Oakland, a 26% increase. Cities across this country, major city chiefs, are saying the exact same thing. The amount of guns, the amount of gun crime, the significant increases. Crime experts say the pandemic and economic fallout are big factors in driving the murder rate higher. Roughly 70% of America's 100 biggest cities are led by Democrats, the rest by Republicans or others. Former CIA officer Jeff Asher now analyzes crime data. 
president claims this is pretty much only a problem in democratic cities. Is that accurate? Well, the data that we have right now says that that's not accurate. We're seeing about a 25% increase in all cities, the 14 cities that are run by Republicans. Very similar change on average of the cities that are run by Democrats. Very few murders have been connected to the protests over racial inequality. Police report outside agitators from both the left and the right have often turned those protests violent. Okay, so basically it's... <laughs> a plague on both your houses. A plague yet on a, both your houses. Yeah. A plague on both your houses! So for all you Fox News viewers out there who are convinced that living in a democratic city is the only hellscape on, uh, you know, uh, on this country we call America, uh, you are incorrect there. Uh, you know, crime is going up. It's a bad thing. I don't not downplaying it. Well, what's going up more than crime is, and by the way, it's weird that these numbers, th those two numbers are a little bit ajar, ajar at the moment. Like they're mm -hmm. not, usually they travel together, but m the murder rate is rising uh, yeah. rapidly and, and crimes are actually not. They're pretty steady. They're pretty yeah. steady. Yeah, the overall true. crime rate is yeah. pretty steady. Yeah. yeah, but homicide's going up a lot. And that's, that's very concerning. I, I really do think like they were saying in that report we just played you, um, a lot of it is this pandemic and the fact that people are out of work. People have been locked down. It's, it's just an incredibly frustrating and confusing time. Yeah. Well, I think I, there's a, there's another issue that's going on that I think you'll actually agree with. The, the Vox, who you know is you know definitely on the left, yeah. they believe that this uh, re this rise in murder rate is because of de the depolicing that's happening. That in response to these these BLM protests against police brutality, that officers are getting pulled back or are pulling back um, because they're you know worried if they act aggressively there'll be problems, and yeah. because of that, the people are taking advantage. Which shows well, may, uh, shows yeah. what could happen if, if, if we Fox really defund is, these these places. If Fox is saying that, I'm sure that is true. I think that the the Republicans are are trying to nail home that fact. They're trying mm -hmm. to say that the Democrats are defunding the police or want to defund the police, and that this is going to continue. Yeah, our police. What we've heard about these blue flus that are happening, mm -hmm. where it, police officers in certain cities are feeling disrespected and just saying, you know what, I'm not going to come to work today. I, I honestly, I can't blame them. Uh, no, if, uh, who could? Right, right. The point is that crime is rising in lots of different cities for yeah. lots of different reasons mm -hmm. and it's not it can't just be broken down so simply into republican versus democrat no i mean I, I i honestly think that the president was talking about specifically the protests that turned into riots mm -hmm. and i think that that got twisted into more crime is happening in these cities when more crime is rising everywhere but what's happening in these cities are protests and rioting and i think that trump is really He's leaning into the, the governors and local authorities that are allowing these things to right. happen and go down when when people are sort of taking that as he, him meaning violence. I think he's not saying what he means, which is, the, you know, often the problem. Always, always. Yeah, no, maybe you're right. You know, and, and I don't want to, by the way, take the onus off of the Democratic mayors like in our city of Los Angeles yeah. who are doing a, a, an absolutely terrible job at quality of at, at making quality of life better. Yeah. I mean. The since the pandemic, the it's homeless so problem, it, it's 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 absolutely disgusting. I, we could do an entire pod where we could just show you video. I mean, just in in affluent neighborhoods all yeah. over Brentwood, the city. In Brentwood, it's the in worst. In Brentwood, the feces all over the street. It's absolutely disgusting. It's unacceptable. And uh, I'm not going to pretend that there isn't um, democratic values 
that are tied into our elected officials that are making that problem worse. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm just talking about very specifically yes. on the topic of law and order. Mm-hmm. It's happening in both Democratic and Republican cities and states. Okay? Yeah, I think I think if the Republicans said what you just said, they'd be better suited to the stats and facts than right. what they're actually the rhetoric that they're actually using. Absolutely. Now, before we get off the topic of the Republican National Convention, I did want to point out who I think gave the best and most inspiring speech at the convention. Go on. And that was uh, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. Yeah. Now, I didn't agree with a lot of what he said in his speech about what Democrats want to do to the country or their socialist agenda or any of the other party line talking points that he's forced to tow. Uh, But I did think he was the best speaker with the best story of the convention. And I think if the Republicans were smart, they'd make this guy the star of their party. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm quite sure he has presidential aspirations, and I could certainly see him being the first African-American Republican president in, in our nation's yeah, history. that'd be incredible. Uh, yeah, here is what a few of the more inspirational parts of his speech sounded like. You may be asking yourself, how does a poor black kid from a single parent household run and win in a race crowded with Republicans against the Thurman? Because of the evolution of the Southern heart. In an overwhelmingly white district, the voters judged me not on the color of my skin, but on the content of my character. We live in a world that only wants you to believe in the bad news, racially, economically, and culturally polarizing news. The truth is, our nation's arc always bends back towards fairness. We are not fully where we want to be, but I thank God Almighty, we are not where we used to be. We are always striving to be better. When we stumble, and we will, we pick ourselves back up and try again. We don't give in to cancel culture or the radical and factually baseless belief that things are worse today than in the 1860s or the 1960s. We have work to do, but I believe in the goodness of America, the promise that all men and all women are created equal. And if you're watching tonight, I'm betting you do too. My grandfather's 99th birthday would have been tomorrow. Growing up, he had to cross the street if a white person was coming. He suffered the indignity of being forced out of school as a third grader to pick cotton, and he never learned to read or write. Yet, he lived long enough to see his grandson become the first African-American to be elected to both the United States House and the United States Senate in the history of this country. Our family went from cotton to Congress in one lifetime. All right, so yeah, the very moving. The cotton to Congress thing, especially. Uh, Moving speech. Uh, Now, I don't care that he's black. Uh, As I've said a million times now, I hate identity politics. And uh, his speech basically says that as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it, when he says the whole content of my character thing and not the color of my skin, that's what he's talking about. Now, I like Scott because I think, one, he is the most talented of any of the Republicans sitting on the bench right now. Uh, and two, I appreciate that he has been one of the few 
who was willing to call out the president's rhetoric when he thought he said something inappropriate. That will go a long way for Tim Scott, especially if Trump loses in, yeah. in November. Yeah, he'll have a career. And, you know, yeah, who knows? I mean, by 2024, I may even be willing to vote for this guy. So your thoughts, Jay? What do you think? Uh, I'm with you. I, I think yeah. he's a great uh, member of the Republican Party. We're lucky to have him. And mm-hmm. They should be putting him front and center a lot more. Absolutely. He, you know, he has um, a way like Obama to yeah. just sort of reach out and move you. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he um, it was the only speech at the convention where I really felt like I like this guy. He's like, not talking I, he, at you. He's not being condescending. He's not exactly. talking down to you. He's just it's a conversation. And right. And, and that's what's so powerful about it. And again, I don't think it has anything to do with his color. No. I, although I do think his story yeah. is very inspiring. Agreed. Um, and that is a story that Uniquely, white people don't experience, yeah, uh-huh. right? But at the same time, I just his his actual character. I think he's been more of an upstanding member of of Congress on the Republican side than virtually anyone else. On uh, uh, you know in their uh, you know in their caucus. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Anyway. We'll keep that's an eye about on that. Yeah. So that's all we have to say about the RNC. Uh, I got one more thing, Riz. Go ahead. Go ahead. We got a new segment. A new segment. A new segment. We're gonna play a game. Oh right. And uh, you're 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 my contestant. What's the game called? The, this game is called "Is this a quote from the RNC or just a thing I made up?" So before we start, I have to thank uh, best friend of the pod, Jensen Karp, for uh, providing uh, the inspiration for this from his uh, podcast, Get Up On This, and for allowing us to um, reach into that uh, wonderful inspiration and, uh, and do this game. So you ready to play? Is this a quote from the RNC or just a thing I made up? I'm ready. So, so you're going to tell me a quote, and I have to guess if it's from the RNC or if it's just something you made up out of thin air. Who wins? Oh, well, you win if you guess it right. Okay. <laughs> and you, you get my respect and the respect of all okay, our listeners. Like, okay, good. good <laughs> all good. right. Let's do it. So first quote, is this a quote from the RNC or just a thing I made up? As long as Trump is president, fishing families like mine will have a voice. That has to be a quote from the RNC. Hey, John yes. one. Good job. That is from Jason Joyce, a Maine yeah. lobsterman. Yes, yes. I, I remember the lobster thing, and I remember the uh, the I remember something about fish. So I was like, okay, that's got to be right. Well done. One down. There okay, you go. Down. All right. Number two. In closing, I'd like to speak directly to my father. I miss working with you every day. I miss our long talks and our trips together. Please take my calls. Is that something you made up? That's something I made up. Yeah, that was right. not Eric Trump. Although I wish he added that to his speech. Yeah. It would have been real good. <laughs> That was, uh, you know, I think I had seen a meme of Eric, uh, an Eric Trump meme that yeah. was something similar to that. So I was kind of tipped off by that. But c- continue. All right, Two I got, more? I got three more. I got three more for you. Let's do it. Let's All do right. it. You are capable. You are qualified. You are powerful. And you have the ability to determine your life and determine your destiny. Is this a quote from the RNC or just a thing I made up out of thin air? That is an RNC quote for sure. Yep. You know who said it? Uh, the, what's her name that we were talking about before? Yeah, Miss Kim. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Another little one down. Kim. Little, ki- little, little Kim. Kim. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. All right. You, yeah. you got go. three. You got all three. Got Maybe three. these are too I, easy. Yep. Let's let's do it. All right. Next, the path to success is to take massive, determined action. This is a quote from the RNC, or just a thing I made up just now. That's a quote from the RNC. You are incorrect, sir. That is really? not. It is not a thing I made up, but that is a Tony Robbins quote. 
okay. Well, you know, th- that just goes to show you that these 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 um convention these political conventions are basically just Tony Robbins conventions. Exactly. But you're doing yeah. really well. But, okay, we got one more, yeah. one last one. All right, let's see. All right. Is this a quote from the RNC or just a thing that I decided to write on my own? All right, here we go. Our party respects individuals based on who they are. We don't divide people based on their beliefs or their roots. We don't shun people who think for themselves. That's definitely an RNC quote. It is. It's from Governor yes. Christy Noam from South Dakota. Right. Yeah, that was, you know, that one was sort of standard. Yeah, yeah standard well, I just rhetoric. wanted to point out so how I, funny it was. <laughs> I did pretty well. You did great. You did four out of five. It's fantastic. Thanks for playing, Riz. You can pick yeah. up your award after the show. I will. I'm, I'm coming over to your place to get it tonight. So get right. Get get your mask on, buddy. Get your mask on. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So uh, moving on, um, we could not do this episode where we were kind of newsy and going over uh, things that have happened in the last two weeks and not bring up Jacob Blake. Uh, you might, guys might be sick of hearing it uh, or hearing about it. Uh, we didn't really want to talk about it because it's depressing, but we felt like we needed to. And I have some things to say on it. But uh, Jay, tell us what we know so far about this Jacob Blake case. So here are the facts of the case, so to speak. Uh, Recently, a cell phone video circulated of a 29-year-old man, Jacob Blake, being shot seven times in the back by Wisconsin police in front of his children, aged 8, 5, and 3. The shooting left him paralyzed from the waist down and caused severe civil unrest within his hometown of Kenosha, Wisconsin, and across the country. Now, there are some competing narratives to this case, so bear with me here. The Kenosha Professional Police Association claims Blake was armed with a knife and forcefully fought with the officers who tried to subdue him. This flies in the face of the narrative driven by Blake's family that say he did not deserve what happened to him. However, the Wisconsin DOJ investigators report states that the shooting occurred just after 5 p.m. on Sunday, August 23rd, when officers responded to a domestic incident incident after a woman called saying her boyfriend was present and not supposed to be on premises. This woman has not yet been identified. Now, once on the scene, officers say that they tried to arrest Blake and deployed a taser in an unsuccessful attempt to detain him. Blake then walked to his vehicle, opened the driver's side door, and leaned forward. As he did, Kenosha officer Rustin Shisky, Shisky, interesting name, <laughs> fired seven shots into Blake's back. Investigators later, later recovered a knife from the driver's side floorboard of Blake's vehicle. Now, although it's not been made public about whom, it has been re- revealed that there's an open warrant for Blake's arrest on sexual charges. The officers were aware of the warrant before they'd arrived at the location and added that Blake was not breaking up a fight between two females, as neighbors and family have said. Now, recently, Jacob Blake was seen at a virtual court appearance from his hospital bed in which a $10,000 signature bond was set and Blake waived his right to a preliminary hearing. The court found probable cause that Blake committed a felony and bound him over for trial. His trial is set to begin on November 9th, and he has pled not guilty related to several charges, including sexual assault and disorderly conduct. We do have a recent video from the hospital room that was uploaded to the internet, and that sounds like this. I just want to say, man, to all the young cats out there, and even the older ones, older than me, it's a lot more life to live out here, man. Your life, and not only just your life, your legs, something that you need to move around and move forward in life can be taken from you like this, man. And I promise you, the type of shit you will go through, Staples, I got staples in my back, staples in my damn stomach. You do not want to have to deal with this, man. 24 hours, every 24 hours, it's pain. It's nothing but pain. It hurts to breathe. It hurts to sleep. It hurts to move from side to side. It hurts to eat. Please, I'm telling you, change our lives out there. We can stick together, make some money, 
make make everything easier for our people out here, man, because there's so much time that has been wasted. So now, uh, right away, uh, the Democrats jump to sentence the police officers and the Republicans jump to demonize the victim. Yeah. Uh, but I will say that this is one of those cases where I do think the Democrats are acting more egregiously than the Republicans. Yeah. Uh, this whole thing that they do where they don't just come to the defense of the victims, but the, of the victim, but they lionize the entire family and make them into sort of insta heroes and activists is very dumb. It's dumb politically. So it turns out that Jacob Blake's father is a raging anti-Semite. Yeah. Uh, in 2018 and 2019, Jacob Blake's father uh, posted a number of anti-Semitic and anti-white posts on Facebook uh, with comments referring to the, quote, Jewish-controlled media that the Jewish victims before the October 2018 Tree of Life synagogue shooting in Pittsburgh were warned of head- ahead of time, which is, of course, a conspiracy theory, a Jewish trope, an anti-Semitic trope, that uh, refer he, he has referred to white people and Jews as crackers and pinktoes and described certain women as hoes. Quote, the same pink-toed Jewish people that control the interest rate, they control minds and money, Blake said in a post on November 6, 2017. Is that because we own all media? I guess so, right? right. So he also expressed support for anti-Semite Louis Farrakhan, uh, the leader of the Nation of Islam, who is... uh, has been a raging and terrible anti-Semite for many, 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 many years. Now, a few things. Does this surprise me? Of course not. It doesn't surprise me at all. Anti-Semitism is the one form of bigotry that crosses over all socioeconomic lines. You will find rich people. You will find poor people. Uh, Whenever there is someone to blame for something, it tends to always be the Jews. Yeah, yeah. And as we talked about, you know, uh, recently in our interview with Hawk, I believe it was, we we discussed some of these names that are now uh, you know, it's a growing sentiment amongst, mm-hmm. unfortunately, amongst uh, people of color. Yeah, I'm going to get to Hawk a little bit later, too. Um, but does this bother me? No, it actually doesn't, because, I, you know, I don't know Jacob Blake's father. Uh, but here is what does bother me, okay? The Democrats ending up with egg on their face because they made this family out to be heroes before they knew everything about the family or the victim himself or before they even knew the facts of the case. So now you have Joe Biden, the Democratic presidential nominee, apparently meeting with the family. And then just this morning, today is Tuesday. Tuesday. Just this morning, Kamala Harris, who's the vice presidential nominee, yeah. apparently met with them and said the following, quote, I mean, they're an incredible family and what they've endured and they do it with such divinity and grace. And, you know, they're carrying the weight of a lot of voices on their shoulders. Now, I feel terrible for anyone and their family who has to go through what Jacob Blake and his family have had to go through. Uh, I'm not saying that this was condoned by any means. But no, this is a terrible political move mm. from the Biden campaign. It really was. Not, yeah, not to mention that Jacob Blake himself doesn't seem to be the pinnacle of, of honorable, as, as Justin sort of pointed out there. He has been accused of repeated sexual assault and digital rape of the woman he was seeing when the incident happened. So uh, is, this kind of th- is this the kind of guy that we want to make into a hero? I mean, however... What the right does is also wrong, whereby they almost strive to point out the victim's criminal record as an as an excuse for why he was shot seven times in the back. The fact of the matter is this. Everyone pay attention here because this is important. Jacob Blake might be a criminal. He might be a rapist, a felon. He might be he might have an anti-Semitic father. However, that does not mean 
that he should be denied his civil liberties as a citizen of the United States. The cops don't get to be judge and jury because he was a bad guy. So honestly, I don't care if he's good or if he's bad. I don't care what his family is. Both Democrats and Republicans should be taking the same stance here. And that stance is very simply this. The civil rights of an American citizen were potentially infringed upon in this case. And there should be a full investigation of the facts of the case before we comment any further. Amen. Period. Would that be so freaking hard to do? Rather than coming out and making him a hero, we are not going to comment yet until we know all the facts of the case. And that way everyone can avoid embarrassment. And if it turns out he was the pillar of society Mm -hmm. and, you know, was beloved by his community and was truly unjustly shot for no reason then we can make him into a hero okay but let's just wait till the facts come out do you agree jay i do but can i can i I add to that and say if he was a pillar of society Mm -hmm. and he was reaching for a weapon while the cops were trying to detain him he it's a good shoot yeah just as as much as if he was i think it's the point you're getting at doesn't really matter what he did previous to this if he's doing something wrong in that moment then it's a good shoot if his civil liberties were tramped on and Mm -hmm. he you know that wasn't the case, then right. that'll come out too. But we should wait to see what happens. I Listen, completely agree with what you're saying. Exactly. And I have a lot of cop friends on, on Facebook, kids I went to high school with, kids, yeah, 40 years old now. Yeah. Uh, but but um, a lot of them have, have been saying that this was a perfectly fine shoot considering he resisted arrest, he was tased, um, then yeah. he was reaching for something. I mean, what do you expect them to do, right? Uh, they don't but, know if it's a knife, a gun, or a fork. I mean, right. that's, that has to be terrifying to a young man who, you know, such as, this officer. Uh, absolutely. But, but with that said, what Hawk said the, uh, in our interview, I mm-hmm. also absolutely empathize with. I understand his argument, which is he, he sort of had two things. Number one, we need police reform because there couldn't, well, I think what Hawk said was he couldn't have tackled the guy. There, 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 yeah. there couldn't have been something else he did rather than shooting the guy seven times in the back. I don't know the answer to that. But that's something I really want to know. I really want to know, is there another way? Could it, couldn't he have shot him in the leg? I mean, anything. Just, mm-hmm. just you know, I, I don't know. That, that, that's, that's, a, that, that's a whole it's, topic it's, for another day. It's tough day. to say. You know, I did see uh, an interview recently. Um, it's, it's an older interview, I think from 2015, mm-hmm. um, with a civil rights uh, spokesperson who yeah. was, you know, has been involved in all these marches. And he went and he took a police training course. Mm-hmm. And he was put in positions where he had to decide to shoot or not to shoot. Right. And he, he, you know, he completely changed his stance right. on, on this issue because when your life is in mm-hmm. danger and you have a family, kids, whatever it is, and, yeah. you know, your life flashes before your eyes, I don't think any of us could really say what that feels like. Of course. But then that's where Hawk, if, you know, if, I, if yeah, Hawk that's was where right the here, training needs to well, come into play. Well, not just that. I think he would also say the entire uh, the entire system needs to be reformed and rethought. Like maybe could we have sent a social worker to the scene rather than a police officer? No. If this person really was assaulting a woman, then probably not. Yeah. Um, you know, or maybe it's a social worker who has a gun. I well, I don't I, that's know. That's why I was saying it needs to be both hands. You know, right. reform, fine. But mm-hmm. if, if you, you need someone in the car who can deal with violence mm-hmm. and someone in the car who can deal with mental, you know, issues and and you need them both. It needs to be part of the whole. Why are you taking away right. from from anything? This is the public good. Why would you yeah. not add to? Absolutely. I agree. Okay. So moving on, we the other th- person we have to talk about uh we mentioned earlier uh in this episode is kyle rittenhouse yeah he was the kid who crossed state lines with with a gun and uh 
ended up in this riot where he shouldn't have been and ended up killing a person or two, right? Was it one? Uh, Kyle Rittenhouse is a 17-year-old from Antioch, Illinois, who is now facing life in prison if, he's connect- if he is convicted of the first-degree intentional homicide charges he faces in the deaths of Anthony Huber and Joss- jo- uh, Joseph Rosenbaum. On August 25th, while we were recording our last episode, he traveled to Kenosha, Wisconsin, where he had connected with a local business owner while cleaning graffiti. Uh, the business owner reportedly asked for help defending his property in case protests turned into riots again that night. Before the shooting, the conservative website The Daily Caller actually conducted a video interview with Rittenhouse in front of a boarded-up business that can be seen online. Videos of these shootings appear to show that Rittenhouse was being pursued in both instances while holding a semi-automatic rifle. However, it's unclear what led up to the first killing of Rosenbaum, a 36-year-old from Kenosha. Although the video does show Rittenhouse running away from Rosenbaum in a parking lot after Rosenbaum throws something at Rittenhouse. Moments later, the video shows Rittenhouse calling someone on the phone and saying, I just killed someone, as he starts running away. Demonstrators start to chase him. He falls to the ground, and on his back, he shoots two other people. Huber, a 26-year-old from Silver Lake, who died after being shot in the chest, and Gage Grosskritz, who was severely wounded with a shot to the arm. Huber was seen in the video trying to hit Rittenhouse with a skateboard when the men were shot. Grosskritz was seen walking towards Rittenhouse holding a handgun when he was shot, which is why uh, Rittenhouse's uh, defense is self-defense. Right. So those are the facts of the case, essentially. Okay. So, you know, I said with the Jacob Blake case that I thought the the Democrats were acting more egregiously than the Republicans. This case is where the right is acting more egregiously. Uh, it's disgusting to me that that this guy is getting defense. Um, you know, Tucker Carlson was on Fox defending him a lot mm-hmm. of right wing politics. This really scares me. This, this this whole thing is is uh, this is a slippery slope. You yeah. know, it's I I had sort of jokingly said this, but it, but it's sort of true. If it would be the equivalent of California was an open carry state, and I decided that I was going going to go down to Watts Towers in South L.A. and stand there, wait to get attacked by a gang member, and then shoot and kill them. Okay, now like maybe it would be my civil liberty to be able to go down there if I mm-hmm. wanted to, but there's got to be some kind of loophole for that because that's essentially what this kid did. I agree. Can I pull back yeah. though for a minute yeah. while we go talk ahead. about this because yeah. I do think that um, you know he's 17, he idolizes mm-hmm. the police, all of this. You know he's he's gotten uh, a lot of all blue lives matter uh, yeah. rhetoric. Yeah. You know posted everywhere. Mm-hmm. Not that that excuses anything, but no. I do think that uh, you know this businessman who empowered him to stand there, and I'm not saying this is this businessman's fault by any means, mm-hmm. but I do think that if we didn't have riots or we had some semblance of a force protecting our businesses mm-hmm. this man would not need to ask this kid to protect his business or wouldn't feel the need to because he'd be, he'd feel like he had protection whether that's federal or or local i think that this whole issue could be solved if these protests were handled these riots they turned into riots it's not protests anymore they're riots yeah. if they're handled with some semblance of equal force then we wouldn't feel the need for these things to happen. I'm not, again, I'm not blaming, you know, I'm not saying that this kid is blameless, but I do think that he was put in this position and there's, there, there is a route in which that doesn't happen. Yeah, you know, it's, I'm not even that concerned about this particular kid. I am concerned that, and, you know, maybe, maybe I'm being um, just a bedwetting liberal here, but I am concerned that if Trump loses this election, he mm-hmm. is going to encourage his base to in the wake of of all the 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 democrat controlled cities that are are are, are uh, you know spawning crime all over the country grab your guns form militias 
especially in open carry states, and go take care of business yourself. That's what I'm really afraid of. I think that this is something that needs to be tamped down by politicians and by talking heads and by commentators, and they're not doing that. They're encouraging mm-hmm. it. They, they, I mean, the president himself was like, oh, I guess he had no choice but to do what he did. The choice would have been not to be there at all. You know, mm-hmm. And yes, I understand he's a kid, but you don't cross state lines just to start a fight, essentially. I, I mean, he says he was protecting a business, a business that he didn't even own, you know, in, in a state that wasn't wasn't a state he lived in. I, I, I completely yeah. agree. And yeah. he shouldn't have been there. But again, mm-hmm. he is a child who says, who sees his heroes being disrespected all yep. over the news. Mm-hmm. And he felt like he needed to get in his car and do something where his parents would be a pretty good question to ask. Right. Yeah. Uh, because I hold them responsible. He is, he's not an adult. He's not 18, yeah. even though he will be tried as such. Um, and so this, it, it, it brings a very good conversation into, into the universe right now that we're having. And I don't think as many people are talking about like the purpose of, of, of him being there. Like what I'm saying about, yeah. you know, we, we should have people who are, who are protecting businesses. It shouldn't be left up to the, 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 the business owner because not any, all business owners can afford private security. That's a, yeah. that's, it's a, you know, something that not everyone can have. And, you know, these local authorities, I think, are not protecting their cities in the right way. And that's a conversation for another time. But yeah, yeah, you no, know, it's, that, it's, that to me it's is complicated. The, that, that's the macro of this. It's like, okay. why does this kid feel like he needs to be there in the first place? Not right. that he should be. But why, why is there an opening for him to protect these businesses? There should be a, a federal, whether it's federal, local, authority mm. figure standing on the step of that business saying, kid, no thanks, we got it. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I, you know, I, all I would say to that is that it was a, a riot in progress. And you don't run into a burning building unless you're a yeah. fireman. That's what, that, that's what I say. You, you know? I, I um, but that. anyway... Way to go, everyone. Very good for bringing the country together. We are growing closer and closer, one tragedy at a time here, aren't we, Jay? Yeah, we certainly are. Yeah. So anyway, last segment for you here. So, so uh, a few weeks ago, we introduced a new segment to the show called Virtually Debatable, where we had a virtual debate with a guest that we aren't mature enough yet to actually get to come to the show. <laughs> uh, hopefully soon that changes. Uh, in keeping with what we did last time, we're going to do it again much more briefly this time with Mr. Ben Shapiro of The Daily Wire. This is Virtually Debatable. All right, the subject at hand is Biden's speech in Pittsburgh from last week. And this sort of plays off of what we were just talking about with Kyle Rittenhouse and Jacob Blake thing, where uh, he went down there to denounce the violence happening in the street and told us some of the reasons he believes Donald Trump is the one egging the violence on. Here's what Shapiro said uh, to intro this topic on his podcast. We're going to go through Joe Biden's speech and we're going to talk about what he actually said and what he should have said and what he didn't say. And what he didn't say is, of course, the most important part of this particular formula. Here was Joe Biden trying to blame Trump for this yesterday in Pittsburgh. The incumbent president is incapable of telling us the truth, incapable of facing the facts, and incapable of healing. He doesn't want to shed light. He wants to generate heat, and he's stroking violence in our cities. Oh, he's the one who's, first of all, stroking violence, stoking violence. I understand that everything looks like stroking to Joe Biden, particularly when he is in any sort of close contact with a woman who uh, who is apparently not related to him. But... No, he's not stroking violence in the cities, Joe. That would be the Democrats who continue to maintain lack of order in their cities. You know what stops disorder? Order. 
And you know what? Democrats have not provided that. Okay, so outside of the stroking, stoking thing, um, <laughs> which is cl- a classic Joe Biden gaffe, by the way, uh, yeah. what, what Shapiro and right-wing commentators like him are always seeking to do is to pretend that the tone and tenor of the president of the United States has no effect on the tone and tenor of the country. Violence is bad. Looting is bad. Setting fire is bad. Democratic mayors not doing enough to stop it is bad. However, it is my opinion that Trump's demeanor is what lit the fuse to begin with. We cannot pretend that this kind of stuff would be happening if Marco Rubio were president now. Uh, As we've discussed before, Trump is absolutely incapable of showing any kind of empathy or understanding for those who are in pain. And, and, and this is what happens. This is why leadership matters. Jay, in our interview that uh, will come out in the next, if it doesn't come out this week, it'll come out next week that we did mm-hmm. the other day, I was talking about Amazon and how Jeff Bezos sets the tone from the top and, right. and every, you know, he, there's probably a thousand district managers that have never even talked to or met Bezos, but that's part of a company. Donald Trump is the CEO of this company, and he has set the tone, and it's the wrong tone. So I think Biden is absolutely correct in his assessment. Trump is stoking the violence and destruction by continuing to show lack of respect and empathy, lack of empathy towards the people that need it, okay? Mm -hmm. But uh, what do you have to say about it? I I can buy that, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Again, I think it's a plague on both your houses. I think that Trump could have... He could have diffused this entire situation by sitting down uh, with the right group of people after George Floyd happened and creating some kind of dialogue in this country right. that was that didn't have to lead to violent acts. Very and good I think point. that he could have done that. On the other hand, like I said earlier, I think that these local mayors and governors are doing a horrible job in these cities of, um, I mean, look at Portland for a perfect example, of allowing these things to go on. And uh, sometimes you need to forcefully remove these people who are doing things illegally from your city. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of pandering on both sides. Mm-hmm. Trump is pandering to his base yep. um, by not giving an inch. And the Democrats are pandering to their base by uh, sort of downplaying it yeah. and making it a Trump thing. So I agree. maybe this is a two things could be true at once kind of moment. But anyway, let's continue. Um, since we're running out of time here, let's continue with what Shapiro had to say next. Remember the narrative here. The narrative according to Joe Biden, and you'll see it played throughout this speech, is that Donald Trump is responsible for the rioting and the looting, that police brutality is responsible for the rioting and the looting, that white nationalists and armed right-wing militias are responsible for the rioting and the looting. It is not, in fact, radical racial activists who are going around burning and looting. It is not, in fact, radical communists and anarchists like members of Antifa. It is just those three forces. Those are the only ones that are bad. The only ones who are bad here are Trump, the quote-unquote armed right-wing militias, and the police. Those are the only three groups that are bad. So here he was going after the cops. And now we have to stand against violence in every form it takes. Violence we've seen again and again and again of unwarranted police shooting, excessive force, seven bullets in the back of Jacob Blake, knee on the neck of George Floyd, killing of Breonna Taylor in her own apartment, violence of extremists and opportunists, right-wing militias. This is insane. Okay, this is an insane statement, and it's an act, again, of moral cowardice. We have to stand against violence in every form it takes. And where does he begin? He begins with the cops. The cops are the bad guys. Okay, uh, this is a right-wing gotcha red herring, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to explain why. Because Joe Biden specifically says there in that clip 
we have to call out all violence. And then he includes specifically that of which is caused by bad cops, not all cops, but the bad ones. Then he says, quote, the violence of extremists and opportunists and Mm -hmm. right-wing militias. So when he calls out extremist groups, why is Shapiro making the broad assumption that he's not talking about Antifa? Okay, in other words, Shapiro is cherry-picking here, Uh, but it goes a little deeper than that. This is the same thing that the right did with Obama, when, if you remember, Obama wouldn't say the words radical Islamic terrorism, right? He would just say radical terrorism or terrorism uh, or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And rather, you know, you know what, rather than me explaining why he would do that, let me have Obama explain it himself. Now, this is in 2015. This is the final year of his uh, presidency uh, of his term. If you remember, Republicans and people on the right had had it with the fact that Obama would not say radical Islamic terrorism. Uh, this, by the way, is an example of the media not being soft on Obama. This was he was responding to a question at a press conference here where it was a very forceful question by a mainstream media outlet. Why won't you say those words, Mr. President? Why won't you say radical Islamic terrorism? He got more pissed off than I think I've ever seen him get pissed off in his presidency. And that sounded like this. It was a great thing. We should hear from Obama. Obama, go. And let me make a final point. For a while now, the main contribution of some of my friends on the other side of the aisle have made in the fight against ISIL is to criticize this administration and me for not using the phrase radical Islam. That's the key, they tell us. We can't beat ISIL unless we call them radical Islamists. What exactly would using this label accomplish? What exactly would it change? Would it make ISIL less committed to trying to kill Americans? Would it bring in more allies? Is there a military strategy that is served by this? The answer is none of the above. Calling a threat by a different name, does not make it go away. This is a political distraction. Since before I was president, I've been clear about how extremist groups have perverted Islam to justify terrorism. As president, I have repeatedly called on our Muslim friends and allies at home and around the world to work with us to reject this twisted interpretation of one of the world's great religions. There's not been a moment in my seven and a half years as president, where we have not been able to pursue a strategy because we didn't use the label radical Islam. Not once has an advisor of mine said, man, if we really use that phrase, we're going to turn this whole thing around. Not once. So there's no magic to the phrase radical Islam. It's a political talking point. It's not a strategy. And the reason I am careful about how I describe this threat has nothing to do with political correctness and everything to do with actually defeating extremism. Yeah, that was Obama on 10 right there. That's about as angry as he gets, right? Yeah, no the point here is this. There are some bad guys in the Black Lives Matter movement who are doing bad things, but there is also some very good work taking place. We talked to one of the good guys, Hawk Newsom, on our show last week. For sure. We did this interview, okay? He runs a New York City chapter of BLM and isn't setting on fire. 
Okay, the right is trying to get Biden and the Democrats to go down the rabbit hole of denouncing BLM entirely, just like they are trying to get Obama to or just like they were trying to get Obama to denounce Islam entirely. Obama said, I'm not going to do that. And Biden should do the same. He can call out the violence without saying BLM is a terrorist organization, which is what all the right wing commentators are saying. They're full out calling it a terrorist organization. And it's not. What do you think, Jay? I mean, I think you have to make the distinction, as Hawk did, that, you know, BLM Greater New York is not tied into BLM sort of central, not the mm -hmm. movement, the organization. Right. I think the organization does have some issues to, to work through. And one of them is they do not call out the violence in their communities enough at all. Yep. Now, I'm sure Hawk would do the opposite. I'm sure he would call out that this violence is unnecessary. And speaking to him, I think I can make that leap. Right. Now, it's not everyone. Uh, but I think that if you're going to talk about the right, you should talk about the left if you want to appear balanced. Other than if you don't, you just you, you appear to be uh, pandering. Right, right. And all I'm saying is that there are good people and bad people in every movement. There Absolutely. are people just like just like in radical Islam. There's mm -hmm. there are people who are perverting whatever yes. the, the, the original intention or message was of, of a certain movement. Mm -hmm. I believe Black Lives Matter does serve a useful purpose. I do believe it has there are elements of it that have been perverted and yeah. and in in perverse ways and I don't like that and I wish it would stop and I do wish they would call it out more. But yeah. I don't think necessarily Biden going up there and saying I denounce Black Lives Matter, which is really what Shapiro is trying to goad him into doing, sure. it is is the answer. I don't think that's the right thing to do. I think that that is again a uh right-wing red herring that they've been trying to do for a while. Uh, let's continue. We got one more for you. Uh, last thing of the day. We promised, guys, this is Shapiro again. Joe Biden continues. And of course, he blames Donald Trump. And the implicit threat here is if you keep electing Donald Trump, the violence will continue. But if you elect me, magically, things will go away. Well, weird, weird. So either he's in control of the rioters or he's not in control of the rioters. But here was uh, Joe Biden making the tacit threat. Fires are burning and we have a president who fans the flames rather than fighting the flames. But... We must not burn. We have to build. This president long ago forfeited any moral leadership in this country. He can't stop the violence because for years he's fomented it. You know, he may believe mouthing the words law and order makes him strong. But his failure to call on his own supporters to stop acting as an armed militia in this country shows how weak he is. Does anyone believe there'll be less violence in America if Donald Trump is reelected? Hey, in other words, if you elect me, the violence will stop. By the way, it is amazing to know, amazing, this entire speech. At no point does Joe Biden say, anyone who supports me who's out there rioting and looting needs to stop right now. I'm talking to, I may support the agenda of BLM, but if you are associated with BLM and you're rioting and you're looting, stop that right now. You're not doing good work. Antifa, if you're out there right now listening to the sound of my voice and I'm Joe Biden and you think that you're helping me out, you're not. Stop it. Right? He won't say any of that stuff because he specifically will not call out anybody on his own side of the aisle. He won't. You think those people are Trump supporters? OK, now, first, there is no threat that Biden is holding over the heads of Americans saying that if you don't elect me, the violence will continue. He's not threatening that. He's saying what is the truth, which is that Trump's demeanor and rhetoric have become so toxic to certain groups in this country that if you elect me, Joe Biden, I'll take the f temperature down a little bit. OK, but then Shapiro lets the cat out of the bag at the end there and says the quiet part out loud when he says, do you think any of the people rioting are Trump supporters? 
This is one of the newer Republican narratives being built that all of the right-wing commentators are adopting. The narrative is that criminals and thugs and bad guys are all Democrats. They're classic Joe Biden voters. I mean, give me a break. These people don't have political ideology. I think it's a really bad faith argument when you try to take common thugs and anarchists and make them into everyday Democratic voters. But lo and behold, that's what's happening here. So yeah, I, I think what we're seeing on both sides of the aisle right now is a rampant politicization of each and everything that comes out, each item mm-hmm. in the news. Uh, we're getting close to the election. The it's temperature is so hot. It's yeah. a close race. Yeah. And I think that we're seeing everyone reach for their base. And I think we're going to see it more. And I think it's going to get worse before we, we hit election night, unfortunately. Yeah. So anyway, guys, that's all we got for you. We hope it gave you something to think about. We, uh, we enjoy all the feedback we've been getting, although we, like we said, we would really appreciate getting more. <laughs> so, but uh, we hope you like this episode. We got we went through a lot of of, of uh, newsy stuff. We didn't get to much about ideology, but it, it's in there somewhere. If you're really yeah, well, listening we gave closely. them like an ideological episode, you know, uh, last episode. So that's we true. To... And also, all of our analysis is rooted in ideology at that's some true. level, right? Yeah. Uh, so I got I got one more thing, Res. Yeah, do it, do it. Go to downthemiddlepod.com to find out more info and contact us. If you send us questions, we'll answer them on the air. Follow us on social media, Down the Middle Podcast on Instagram, Down the Middle PC on Twitter, and Down the Middle Pod on Facebook. If that's too confusing, just go to our website. They're all there. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. How many stars, Riz? Always give it five stars. If you don't, we will come for you. That's true. Not Antifa, us. <laughs> but we'll come for you and we'll just make you tea. I mean, don't get any bad any ideas. Yeah. We'll just Visit try to me. convince you to give us five stars. Yeah, exactly. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll set out a nice argument. <laughs> We're mentions, really. <laughs> right, Your moms exactly. will love us. Uh, visit me at, at Justin Siegel on Instagram and Twitter. You can visit Riz at... At Rob underscore Lifer at Instagram. I am the most handsome Rob Lifer on Facebook. Yep. And I am Ro- at Rob Lifer on Twitter as well. All right, so visit our Discord. Mix it up with us. Let's talk politics. The link is on our socials. Buy some merch while mm-hmm. you're friends by promoting moderate change incrementally, something... Man, could we use that right we now? We could so, use So them. promote it. Buy a shirt. You know, the link's in our bio. And uh, and that's what that's all we got, guys. That's yeah. it. That's don't the end do of this anything episode. crazy until our next episode. Don't burn Please. the country down. Don't uh, spit on your neighbors. That's good. You know, it's good. I advice. had fun on this episode. Yeah, it was, it was a good. good one. It was good. Just kind of going through it all. I had a nice time. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. We are back, and we're proud. Keep it moving. And until next time. All right, guys. Have a good night. Bye. Bye.